This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Three weeks ago, I got to check off an item on my fly fishing bucket list. Dave and I fished the Madison River just outside Yellowstone National Park for runners. Those big fish that come up out of Hebgen Lake into the Madison River and route to their spawning beds. The spawn doesn't start until after the season closes, but those big fish start moving in September and then in October especially. So Dave and I uh, fished, uh, uh, you know, one mid-October day. And, and on this particular day, we had booked a guide out of Blue Ribbon Flies in West Yellowstone. We've actually, uh, uh, we, we tried one afternoon, one late evening. We, we drove through there years ago and, and uh, just got out on the water, but really weren't quite sure where some of the best places were because those fish do... Uh, tend to uh, hang out and pool up in certain places. So anyway, we, we booked a guide. We usually do this once a year, once every two years. Uh, every time we do it, we question the Absolutely. expense. Absolutely. But we also always agree that it was a good investment by the time we're done. And this fine day was no exception. So first memory of the day, what would you well, say, Dave? <laughs> mine was my alarm going off at that horrible hour was it like 4 30 oh yeah what time did we get up so we were staying yeah. mm -hmm. in the bozeman area and right. we partly because we had a place to stay right my didn't son cost us anything <laughs> my son-in-law's parents live there right uh -huh. so man it was early it was early so so i remember just that long drive how far is it like 60 70 miles um yeah a little further i think it's 82 from four so, corners the west yeah so we arrived yeah. right at about 7 30 yeah. and so first thing we did is breakfast because yeah, you know food's yep, the most right. important thing that's right because if you and i don't eat man hey, the rest of the day whew, i know that's horrible well i think for me the first memory was the starry sky yeah we we got outside and and my my son-in-law's uh, folks live out in the Kind of out in some farm area, they they live just across the uh, it's like a hundred yards from the yeah, Gallatin, from the Gallatin yeah. River, and it's just gorgeous. And there's no, you don't have a million street lights, and the the nearest ranch is a little ways. So I just remember looking up at the starry sky, and just how vivid those stars were. It was crystal clear. It was dark, just gorgeous. Well. When we make that drive from, let's say, Bozeman, what's the highway number? Uh, 191. Yeah, 191. Yeah. So when we make that drive, and every so often we'll go down there, sometimes we'll make that drive because it's towards Big Sky. So we fished Taylor Fork. I fished Taylor right. Fork before. Mm -hmm. We've gone down Fan Creek. And yeah, we've we actually stopped fished. at Red Cliff, the yeah, National Red Cliff, Forest. Yeah, Red Cliff, yeah. But every time we drive down there, I think of the story you told coming out of Bozeman, down 191 in the dark oh, of night where you almost boy. hit somebody. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so I was just south of Four Corners, which is, uh, well, it's it's Four Corners. There's stuff on each corner, some gas stations and a cafe and a grocery store and little coffee shops, and just really odds and ends stuff. Well, the, the first mile or two south of that, there, there's just odds and ends. It, it's it's just all kind of random, and and anyway, I had we were headed down to meet some friends at a restaurant. We had just passed the Bozeman Hot Springs, and let's see, this was uh, this was probably an October, November night. It was it was clear, but it was dark. 
like 5.30. And, and I'll never forget, all of a sudden, I see these two white things walking in the road in front of me. And I mean, in a middle, this all happened in a couple seconds. And I think rabbit. And then I see a, a man in front oh my of me. Gosh. He was an elderly man walking across the road. And I don't know to this day if he was drunk, if he was confused or, or what, but he was walking across. There were a bank of mailboxes and I barely had time. I swerved and, and I, I was cr cringing, afraid I'm going to hit him with my mirror. And, and I didn't. But you know what? That oh, guy's man. tennis shoe saved his life. I was going, whatever the speed limit was, I was at the top end of it. I was within it, but it was 45 or 50. Oh, and uh, That's oh, horrible. And there were cars then behind me, so I was going to stop and see if he was okay, but I realized there was nowhere to pull off. This would be more dangerous. So I just kept going and, yeah, meet our friends at a restaurant. Well, how's your day going? Oh, fine. I just about hit and killed somebody. Whew, yeah, how do you eat dinner after yeah, that? Yeah, that's but, bad. That's bad. That's bad. But you're right. I, I, I do have that memory, too, when I drive down through there. Whew. All right. Sorry about that macabre. No you know, start to the it, day, but it thankfully wasn't. it turned out well. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, Steve, what were your expectations of the day? You know, honestly, my expectation was that we were not going to do very well because it was such a sunny, clear, warm day. And I thought, well, okay, if, if nothing else, we'll, we'll do this for intel. I mean, that's often why we hire guides. Uh, we, could, you know, we could go out and strike out on our own, but... It is helpful if you're only fishing somewhere for a day or two. You want to find out where, where are the best places to fish because, you know, we, we thought about going back the next day and we ended up not uh, just because the weather really changed and we, we wanted to give the Gardner River another shot. But so I, anyway, I, I go there and I'm, I'm figuring this is a beautiful day. We'll have a nice walk. We'll, we'll learn some places to fish that, that we can use the information in another year when the conditions are better. So I didn't expect we were going to catch anything. Yeah, I I had such mixed, like, muddy expectations. I really didn't know what to, yeah. mm -hmm. what to expect. I honestly thought we were going to end up on some stretch of the Madison, like, directly in the park. I right. realized mm -hmm. where we fished was in the park. Like, one part of the run was in the park, and one part of the run is not yeah. in the park. I mean, right. that's... The Yellowstone, in fact, you have to have a both a Yellowstone license, Yellowstone National Park fishing license or a permit, and yeah. a Montana one because where we fished, like you'd go from one run to the next, yeah. and uh -huh. one run you're in Montana, and the next one you're in Yellowstone yeah. National Park. That's so, right. I, to be honest, when I found out we were going to fish Baker's Hole, I was a little bit like, yeah, we fished this before. So that's, I just didn't have a lot of expectations. Yeah, so. that's interesting. Well, yeah, we fish Baker's Hole. That's it's just outside of West Yellowstone, just a couple miles west on the highway. There's a campground there. We drove just a little bit further to the west, went in on an unmarked road, and the Madison River, uh, which has recently come out of Hebgen Lake, is winding around. I, I imagine if you were in an airplane looking down on it, it would look like a piece of ribbon candy. It's just all these uh, bends that. Uh, uh, you know, just one right after another. And like you said, Dave, part of the time you're in Montana, part of the time you're in Yellowstone. So you've got to have uh, a Montana license and a Yellowstone license if you're going to fish that, unless you know exactly where uh, you are and what you're doing. Well, the fish coming up from Hebgen Lake are looking for slow spots. And talk a little bit about this. This is something actually I didn't even know. I didn't realize that there are rainbow trout 
that are actually running in the fall. And, you know, it's counterintuitive. We were expecting brown trout. You caught a really nice brown. But talk a little bit about these. They call them Eagle Lake Rainbows. Yeah, the Eagle Lake Rainbows. There's a lake. Is that in California? I I think think? so, yeah. And they were in danger of uh, being extinct. And so they brought some of the the, the roe or the eggs and, and maybe some fry as well and, and planted them in Hebgen just so they could keep them going. They're, they're really a steelhead and you caught a monster. I mean, you got a 21 incher. It was fat. Uh, that thing took forever to land too, It, it was it? the heaviest fish I've ever yeah. caught on a fly rod. I've caught like longer uh, fish, the 23, 24, but I've never caught one that was so oh, thick yeah. and heavy. Oh, it was yeah. a brute, just a big football. Yeah, so the fish coming up from Hebgen are, and you talk about this, that they are looking for slow places in the current, and why yeah. is that? Yeah, well, because they're they're in Hebgen Lake, they're they're hunkered down at the bottom, they, they're not used to fighting currents, so uh, when they come up the river, they're, they're not looking at the same places that they that the residents are, the river fish are, are holding in. Uh, again, the, that's the why ra- they're fatter. Yeah, right? the, it's exactly it. They don't have to fight that current. Now, obviously, the resident fish are not always in the fast raging water, but still, uh, they're in some of those runs where uh, it's it's deeper, but it's still the current's moving along. But no, these bigger fish, they, they want as slow as possible. So that's that's kind of where you have to find them. Let's talk about the fish we landed. Talk about that brown. You caught that brown. I thought that was a, I mean, that was a nice That was. Brown. That was, was that 20 a, inches? Yeah, it was, it was 19, 19 inch brown. That was a nice, I was had, so envious of had you. the big old hook jaw. And, <laughs> oh, uh, that thing looked really, oh, really great. That was, and, and caught it on a nymph. That's, well, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about the patterns that we were using, but Honestly, we didn't catch a lot of fish, did we? I no. mean, we each couple fish, and and then I, uh, bonus round, I, I caught a bunch of large white fish, and they were huge. I've not, I've never caught white fish that big, 18, 19 inches, just big old things. And I don't think I caught a one white fish. No, I know it. No, strange. And, and once again, you you got the the whole trip. You got the award for the biggest trout every every time we were out. That was a was a monster. So but. when we caught, we were fishing on the top fly was, we were fishing a stone fly, smaller stone fly pattern. We were nymph fishing. And then the, the dropper was fishing this olive serendipity, which is essentially a caddis emerger. And I, I fished a long time, and I was like tired by the time I caught this fish. But when that thing hit, I, it took me, I would say, 15 to 20 minutes to land that fish, wouldn't oh, you man. say? Oh, yeah, at least. And I had to least, run down yeah. about 200 yards down the river. I and would you have were never doing caught every, it. You were doing everything right. You know, you were doing everything right. It just, that guy wanted to so run. It was so heavy. Oh, it was. And it just would not tire out. And yep. I, I, at some point, I thought I would not catch it. I seriously thought, there's no way I'm bringing this in. And... And it was spit. My rod would, you know, I'd reel it in for a little bit, and then it would just spin. My yeah. reel would just spin as it was go out, as it would go out again. And there was a moment. Well, the thing, the reason why I didn't lose it was we were fishing seven, uh, uh, seven foot two x leaders, right? Yeah. So our tippet was two x. Yep. So you know, we were what's that about ten pounds, fifteen pounds? I don't know what it is. Yeah. But it wasn't like three pound tip right right yeah. so i would have lost that fish easily because oh, there's no yeah. way i would have brought that thing in yeah but it was the heaviest 
fish I've ever caught on a fly yep. rod, or at least my nine foot six. Sure. And it was just an amazing fish. And then right after that, you caught a really nice rainbow that wasn't much smaller than that. No, I mean, it was probably about 19 inches as well. Not as big as the one you caught, but it, it was. It was a gorgeous fish, beautiful, uh, beautiful colors to it. That was a lot of fun. You know, you, like you said, the patterns we use, we simply use the stone, a stone fly as a lead fly, and then uh, we use the caddis emerger. Yeah, again, caddis aren't happening then, but uh, that olive serendipity was a good trailer fly, and, and our guide likes to do that, he said, because... Uh, they act as an emerger when that fly swings, and and I, I'm trying to remember. Did you pick yours up on a swing? I did. Yeah. I did. It was right at the end yep. of the drift. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said too, you don't need an egg pattern this early. The the fish are on the move, but they're not spawning yet. They're heading to their spawning. Well, he ground. also mentioned that he said when they're spawning, like November first, or if they're coming up and actually spawning, he says you, they won't hit anything you yeah. can dangle anything before exactly. their nose and they're just not going to hit it yep so well, what surprised you dave anything on that day so oh man it was one of those vectoring moments um in terms of fly fishing for me partly because from when we started out with curtis our guide i looked him in the eye and i said curtis the only way this trip is not going to be a good trip is if you don't correct me all day long because I want to hear <laughs> yeah. everything I'm doing wrong all day long. And oh my. He, he never did, stopped talking. He <laughs> never stopped talking, and he was so good, so he patient. Was, yeah, he was. But one of the things he talked about was when you're nymph fishing, if it is not easy, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. That felt so counterintuitive. Yep. Mm -hmm. Even when you're tossing in the wind. He said, yeah. the problem is, is that when you're casting into the wind and you try harder, it doesn't make the fly go any better. No. He says, you need to stay with your natural swing. So he talked about different ways to cast the fly, especially when you're casting upstream and you're on the... Um, you're casting to your right, which is an awkward cast. Yeah, so right? the river is running from your right, right to, to your left, left yeah. and you're casting up. So that was the first thing. Yeah. Just he's an, He was an yeah. engineer. So he said, what, cast down and then just flip it back. Flip it back, yeah. right, exactly. You know, kind of keep your, uh, your arm straight. He said the rod ought to be an extension of your arm, which, which we know, but he said there's no wrist flip in that backhand. It's, it's just a gradual back. And then downward motion, you, you accelerate it gradually. And ah, like, yeah, that, that worked perfectly. And I, I thought about the day before, there we are in, uh, down in the Yellowstone River and times where we had brush behind us and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to squeeze a back cast in. And all I needed to do was just uh, cast down river and then flip it back. Well, talk it. about... You know, his thing, look, lift, and backhand. Talk about it. I mean, that's what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. So, so you know, you, you cast down uh, river, kind of parallel with the river. Uh, you, I mean, you, you take a look to just to make sure, okay, everything's laid out. Then you, you lift your rod so that you're getting your, uh, uh, your line off the water. That's the surface tension. That's what slows things down. And then once that's off, then, then you just do the backhand. Yeah. And it, it really does work well, very and efficient. It, and it's the rod then that's doing the work. And w where I really learned this was when I would go back to my bad habits of, quote, trying harder yeah. when the wind would mm. come up. Because we had some bad wind. And actually, yeah. I was so glad I had that nine foot six weight rod. But I would try harder, like, like, 
like put more torque into my arm mm -hmm. and it, it never helped. And so yeah. he just said, listen, it doesn't matter how windy it is. You've got to do the same stroke. And if it's, if it becomes hard, it's, it's wrong. And so all of his philosophy came from, cause he's an engineering. Yeah. He mm -hmm. said so much of life, you have to try harder and it, you, that works. He said, not with nymph fishing, not with your yep. stroke. He said, if it becomes hard, then you're doing you're it wrong. Doing it it wrong. should be really easy. Yep. Of course, then he took the rod and cast a hundred feet like like it was uh, <laughs> yeah. like it was really easy. I mean, this guy yeah, was an amazing I know. guy. I so know. Um, that was big. He was big on mending too. Wasn't yeah, we'll he? talk about that. Yeah. Remember the first couple things he said. One is as soon as you you're tossing it to the right and it's the river's moving from right to left. The first thing you do is what he called a stack mend, which is just kind of the first mend, and it's not until the the strike indicator gets almost even with you that you do what he calls the full man. Right. In other words, you don't have to do it all at once. You do your your mend in, in kind of a small series of, of mends. And what that does is it keeps you from disrupting the strike indicator. Because I know a lot of times I'll just try to do a full mend right away and it, it kind of jerks your strike indicator, which means that your nymph rig is is kind of jerking back as well. So yeah, just do it in a series, and and it's not until that indicator's in front of you because it's it's not going to be deep enough until that point. Right. You know, at least in a in a little bit bigger river. Now, okay, it might be different if you're on a smaller stream, but uh, but uh, that was something else too. He talked about uh, the surface tension being the 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 issue. Well, no, no. Even before we get to that, remember how he he showed us that if our uh, he told us to watch the speed of our strike indicator and that when it goes slower than those bubbles on the surface we're at the right depth because the current at the bottom of a river is always slower than the current on the surface yeah that was fascinating isn't i've it? heard that before but i've never really thought yeah, about it in no, terms of really practically right didn't what does think it mean it for nymph fishing right, right? yep so Couple things. One is making sure you know it's yeah it's important to mend when you first when the nymph first hits the water, but it's not really the other thing he said was right when the strike indicator gets past you, which you said it's really at the right depth. So that's where yeah. you really need to focus your on your different mending yeah. that you need to do. And you want yeah you want to mend out line. I guess yeah. you could say it that way. You want to let out line and. Just kind of doing that circular, that C kind of cast, almost like you're drawing a circle around your strike indicator. It's probably the best way to keep feeding line. Well, he also said, he said, Dave, you've got this Sage One rod. He said, I have the, I have a rod like this. I use it for streamers. I love this rod. He said, it's not the best rod for mending because it doesn't have flexibility from side to side. And yeah. so he said, it's a great rod for distance. It's a great rod for streamers. He said, I'm not saying you shouldn't use it for nymphs. It just makes it hard to mend. And he is so right. I realized yeah. throughout the day, mm -hmm. that rod is really, it just doesn't, it's so stiff that it doesn't, it has no flex from left to right. And it just made the day difficult. I realized yeah. this guy told me, do you remember he said he had like 48 fly rods? <laughs> yeah, I know. He said, and I've I got know. fly rods with six weight. I got a, you know, nine foot six that has yeah. five weight on. I've got a nine foot six that has yep. seven weight on. I mean, this guy, had, this guy oh. was just an encyclopedia. I know. It was um, crazy. It was just, and, it, and he, the way we had, the conversation was so great through the day. It was. Because 
he was continually educating without judging you. Yeah, he really was. And he was I, so patient. I was thinking, yeah. dude, how can this guy be so patient? I know. Yeah, that, that right balance between intensity but laid back, if you know what I mean. So, any any funny moments that you remember? Well, I think you dropped your sandwich during lunch. Yeah, yeah, right in the dirt. <laughs> you picked it up and just I know, finished and it I off. Tried to, I thought, well, I can eat half of this, but about halfway through the sandwich, I was like, okay, I don't want to taste grit from the, uh, the, the dirt here by Baker's oh. Hole. So. And within like 30 minutes of fly fishing, I had hooked the guide's finger deep i mean this hook went deep into his finger like seriously it, it, oh, went, it went all the way to the shaft i mean it was so deep so so we had to figure that piece out oh man. you know we did that little technique where you take a yes, fly right. line and yeah. around the bottom of the it hook worked. and yeah and he wasn't phased by it a bit it didn't bother him oh. so so anything that you'd say when you think about the day that you like best you know Honestly, well, obviously catching that big fish, right? That was the fattest, biggest, heaviest fish I've ever caught in a fly rod. Yeah. But I'm just going to say that's a given, right? So, But yeah. outside of that, I would say the entire day with that guide, I don't think that I we've had a better guide. No, I know. He was really good. And he was just darn interesting from being a football player to playing yeah. basketball. He played both basketball, I think, and football in high right. school, in college, yep. didn't he? Yeah. Being we, the engineer, the way he approached kind of fly fishing. Right. Played against Ryan Leaf, the uh, former yeah, quarterback just, for the Chargers, and was the one guy in Ryan's life that would, would tell him no. And yeah. A lot of interesting stories there. Yeah, that was great. I, I think for me it was... It was the learning. I, I didn't expect to to learn that much, to improve that much. Uh, I think to fly fishing in the area that I've always wanted to fish well. I've dabbled around back in Baker's Hole, but uh, not you know not very successfully. And and then just fighting a couple of those really big bruisers. That was that was great. Yeah, I I just thought lunch was great with him. I think when he went deep into his well, he also knew Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he that's right. He talked about his life with he, yeah. you know, knowing Dennis Rodman. What, what did Dennis call him? Did he call him Montana or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. yeah. I don't but, know how this this guy's about five oh. ten, but he weighed like two ten, and he was yeah. like this. Uh, he was like a, a middle linebacker, I think. Oh yeah, and it's, I mean, I wonder what his vertical leap was. Yeah, it, just it was unbelievable. Like could, uh, guy. Yeah, but I, oh, the thing that man. struck me was about when Ryan Leaf, the quarterback, for, I think it was San Diego Chargers, right? Yeah. Uh huh. That that. He had gotten such to a low point in his life that right before he went to prison is that he would walk around Great Falls, Montana and checking the doorknobs on homes to see it was open so that he could go into their cabinet and steal their prescription yeah, drugs. Yeah, I mean, how sad. low is oh, that? I know. I know <sighs> it. From being the number two quarterback in the draft behind Peyton Manning to, uh, to oh, that. Um, anyway, it was just a great day. Overall, really I would say of yep. all the great days we've had, you really can't categorize them as better than the other. No. But that was a great day. It was. Drove back to Bozeman, uh, had a meal at Columbo's Pizza. That, that's Met a friend a, that Steve yeah, had who was driving know, through. Yeah, from Portland. And this guy was had been back in our area. And he was actually, I, I, we couldn't get together with him in, in Wheaton, where he was, where Dave lives. So he, he just happened to be driving through. Gets to Bozeman the night that we're... Uh, uh, you know, coming back from this trip. And so we had dinner together. That was a lot of fun. 
So I guess what we'd say is this, fishing for runners in the Madison in the fall ought to be on everybody's bucket list. If you can get out and do that once, uh, it'll be a terrific experience. Yeah, there's, and I didn't know that this was on my bucket list now, it was on yours, but I tell you, once you do it, you know, it's one of those things where you end up catching larger fish, but not a lot of fish. And it was yes. just one of those days to remember. Absolutely. Well, it's time now for great stuff from our listeners. I want to change this up just a little bit and and uh, kind of read something from a, uh, a recent book called The Runners of Yellowstone. It's by Chester Allen. You can get it on Amazon. And I, I read that before I, I went. And uh, this guy's a, a veteran fly fisher, lives in the Portland area. Uh, he goes out every year to spend some time on the... Uh, uh, Madison River, but, but in Yellowstone National Park. And anyway, in his book, uh, he actually had an interview with Craig Matthews. We've talked about him. He's the, the, the shop owner or was the shop owner at Blue Ribbon Flies. He, he sold it. But uh, one of the things that uh, in Chester Allen's interview of Craig Matthews, uh, he, he asked him where he fished and, you know, did he ever try the barn? Does he fish the barn pools much? And and I thought this was interesting. Craig Matthews said, you know, I, he says, I really fish more in, in kind of, uh, you know, off the beaten path places, he says, because I can fish every day if I wanted to. And, and I'm here, you know, year round. He said, I really try to leave some of the more popular places, like around Baker's Hole, like the barn pools. He says, I try to leave those for the folks who come in who are only here for a week, like, like you and me, Dave or for those who are, are elderly and can't you know, hike as far, or get back into some of these places. And I thought, man, that's, uh, I really Just admire the that. graciousness yeah. of Craig Matthews. Oh, man, it really is. Such a wonderful trait. Oh, I Especially know. a man like him who has been successful in life. Instead of the arrogance and the conceit and the, you know, he, he's kind of in that generative phase of life. I, I, I use the word crossovers, yeah. men who've actually crossed over to that side. I can't speak to women, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know what their journey is. But for men, it is so difficult to do that. But the people right. who have done it, you really want to be around. Yeah, them. you really do. Yes, that's awesome. Yep. So again, you'll find that in a book by Chester Allen. The title is actually Yellowstone Runners. I don't have it right in front of me. I, I uh, just kind of summarized that interview, but interesting interview with uh, uh, with Craig Matthews with a couple of other area fly fishers, and then just a uh, just kind of an account of his uh, uh, his experience a couple years ago fishing the uh, uh, runners in that uh, famous fall run on the Madison. Did you remember? I think it was Curtis who said that. There was a guy who had fished all of September and didn't catch a fish as big as the ones we caught. That's right. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So we uh -huh. just hit it right. I tell you what, I'm just you know, fortunate. We, we were really just did. fortunate that day to hit. I know. And on, catch, on a catch day the fish when, we did. Yeah, on a day when I thought, up, oh, you know, bright sun, you know, they're, they're just, it's warm. They're not going to be moving. But we, we got into some. It was great. Well, that's going to do it for today. Tell us about a fine day you've had fishing for large trout that are moving up the river to get ready to spawn. Now, what stands out about that experience? Please go to twoguysinariver.com and you can comment right on this podcast link. 
What fine days have you had fly fishing for the big brutes that are on the move up the river? You can find Two Guys in a River on all the social platforms, and we'd love to hear from you there. Each week, we publish a new episode on our website, and we've received so many great notes from you through the years about the podcast, and we keep saying, hey, if you want to promote the podcast, best thing you can do is just tell somebody about it. Just promote the podcast. The other thing is we'd love for you to promote or talk about our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short, catch more fish. We think that the holiday season is a great time to buy a bunch of these as stocking stuffers. So, Absolutely. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon or you can go through our website and click on the link and buy the book. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>